Thanks for downloading the Azarin podcast. I'd just like to issue a content warning. There is swearing in this episode. So if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, maybe just be aware. If you are in an office environment, maybe pop on your headphones. And if you have any feedback or questions, uh, you can get in touch with us. Details are at ozarin.com. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to the Ozarin podcast. Uh, hey. Hey. Hello. Um, I'm here with Dave and Brad this week. Hello. Hello. If, if you're unsure, it's me, Liam. I realised that. I, I wasn't sure because you've had a haircut, so you... Yeah. I mean, I hope you guys enjoy it at home. Yeah. You really thought it would bring something to the podcast. See it through your headphones. Yeah. You have to rub it on the, the mic like an ASMR audio. Yeah. That's what we need this packet of crisps already, but I've already finished the crisps. But. Um, so I think uh, we're doing a, a 2016 retrospective. It's a good year for escapism, isn't it? Yeah, you certainly need <laughs> yeah. to, to hide in uh, your video games. Entertainment. A year of being disappointed with everything, apart from video games. Well, that's arguable, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll come to that. I've had some great fun in video games. Oh yeah, there's some, been some really good games, but there's also been some big letdowns this year, but we'll come with that. Yeah. yeah. So we talk about some of the bigger games first, some of the big AAA titles. Yeah, sure. Because um, I know both of you guys have been playing Overwatch. Pretty much. Yeah, more recently. Non-stop. That's, that's won a few awards already for mm. Game of the Year. I would suggest, I would strongly suggest this Game of the Year, at least for me. Yeah. So. Close. I, I'm up in the air. There's a few titles which I think could easily deserve it. Um, I think, personally for me, the one I've been playing the most is Overwatch. Yeah. But Overwatch is the kind of game where you can just keep playing it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas other games I've enjoyed this year, it's kind of you're done, you're done, unless mm-hmm. you want to replay the game. Yeah. And, like, I don't tend to replay games immediately. So <laughs> it's, it's maybe, you know, if, if you played a game that's had a lasting experience for you yeah. rather than something you play compulsively. I mean, not that I'm suggesting that's the case. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Overwatch is an incredibly polished um, first person shooter that's what I was just about to say like there, like, there are loads of games that you go back to all the time um, and you keep playing them just because that's the type of game they are like MMOs and all that kind of thing but I feel that Overwatch has like a level of polish that even you such like Final Fantasy XIV is one of the more polished MMOs of titles that you play on a regular basis that I've experienced in my time playing those kind of games yeah. but Overwatch has a level of quality that and I, I hate I hate to say it's, it's because of Blizzard but it is because it's Blizzard yeah. Blizzard um, didn't make like they make their, very good games. Their quality of, of game, they have a very high standard. And the thing is, they can afford to have a very high standard. Yeah, yeah. Because they can take their time, because they've got mounds of MMO cash. Just yeah, so I mean, it's, it's supported by their other, other franchises, mm-hmm. eventually. It's just, um, like... It's a huge moneymaker in its own right now as well, though, so... Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, is that just through in-game purchases? Must be, because I've spent, yeah, I, I don't know... So. Um, just the other night I spent £32 on winter loot boxes oh my god <laughs> did you get anything decent I got all the skins nice all them <laughs> pretty much I had a really good I was like I, if I, I'll, I'll buy these loot boxes now and then if I don't get anything that I do want I'll save the gold that I get from these loot boxes to buy them at the end of the winter event and that then, seems like a good idea and then I can kind of gamble on hope that I get the, the remaining skins in the loot boxes I get going up to what I really should have done is wait until the very end and then spent £32 on loot boxes or whatever. And then in you case I got all the gold. skins, because you get a loot box if you level up. Right. You get loot boxes for playing games. Oh, I see. I see. But I've got more money than yeah. cents. And I don't have a lot of money. So I really don't have a lot of cents. Um, so uh, I, I bought, it's 50 loot boxes for £32. I went through it and I got all of them. Cool. Uh, Congrats. There's some voice lines and stuff I need. But uh, quite happy. Uh, and that's after I spent another, I don't know, 40 quid on the um, Halloween loot boxes. Oh my god. So, that's like 40, 
That's like seventy pounds it's had off of me after the initial buy-in. Still cheaper than all the Destiny expansions you've bought, maybe? Or? Yeah, I mean yeah. that's the thing. Um, I still really love Destiny. Yeah. But the Destiny Winter event is on. Uh-huh. Came out the same day as Overwatch, and I haven't gone back to it yet, oh, no. which is a pretty massive thing for me because uh, I would keep going back to Destiny. Yeah, yeah. But Overwatch just um, I haven't done the newest raid in Destiny either yet. Okay. So about this, it's just maybe I'm a wee bit tired. I'll come back to yeah. the, the next big update. I'll go back and I'll go. The Destiny went up. It does look quite expansive this time. It Rise of Iron was decent. amazing. I played it too much though. The thing is, I got really into Destiny right before Rise of Iron came out mm-hmm. in anticipation of Rise of Iron. I played Rise of Iron uh, like hours every day up mm-hmm. until just before the raid came out, and then once the raid came out, I, I burnt out a bit. Yeah, Overwatch feels like, like I might burn out on it on some point. But the good thing about Overwatch is it, in the same way as you can. Take a, a break and come back to it when the next big event comes. There's in. not a, as big a level of commitment with Overwatch as there is with something like Destiny. Yeah. Because Destiny is it's all about like keeping up with like the new story events and like making sure you're the, the right light level and not keep yeah. up with the the meta. It's um, a treadmill. Yeah. Destiny. Whereas Overwatch isn't. Destiny is a treadmill, so you need to keep up with everything. Yeah. If you don't keep up your level. You can't engage with the new content. So you can't just stop playing and come back when the new content comes out. Because, yeah. I mean, it's quite quick to <coughs> catch up when the new content comes out. But you do still have to... You're on the back foot. People will be off doing the raid. Mm-hmm. And you're there like, I've not quite got up to scratch. I, I experienced that when I came back. Because I think I left just after the... Just before House of Wolves. Yeah. Or just after like the second expansion. And then I didn't come back till the, sec- the first proper big expansion. Taken what was King. that again? Taken King. And I was quite behind. Even like catching up with the Taken King stuff, there was loads of stuff that I'd just never done because I didn't play House of Wolves. Overwatch has no upkeep. That's the thing. Destiny's a demanding sort of... You need to keep up this... If you want to play Destiny at a certain level, you need to keep up. Mm -hmm. And the Overwatch skins and stuff, those are the things that you collect. They're purely cosmetic. Yes, absolutely. Which is the same though in Destiny. Everything you get... Well, I don't know if that's changed most of what you get is cosmetic or you need to earn the right to have it at a higher level. So they did release armor, but it was the stats were free. Right. That was your stat. It's like armor stat or whatever. It was free. And it needs to be 260 or whatever it was. 320? 320. Yeah. So you do need to... It is cosmetic as far as it doesn't give you anything. Mm-hmm. You know, still need to earn that. So there's been a few other big releases this year. Uh, um, one of the first um, ones for me was um, Rise of the Tomb Raider which um, came out on PC and PS4 this year came out on Xbox One last year it did yeah right. uh, I never had a chance to play it I know Xbox. you're not quite right it came out on PC well it did come out this year it was in January, though, January. so it was a, a while ago on PC. it was a long time ago yeah. I mean that's, that's like right back at the start of the year Yeah. and this wasn't one of those games I don't know anything about Xbox Ignorant of it, but I know that you can play some Xbox games through Games for Windows Live, is it, or Games for Windows Ten? I think that was that's new. That's that's newly added. All right, so it was some Games of War Four, the yeah. the first game that did it. Okay, so this was it's got crossplay, so you that. can. Uh, okay. No, no. I wondered why it came out on Xbox last year and then PC this year. Mm. They, they had a, they had an exclusivity. Yeah. Uh, so they they got limited exclusive release for that, uh, but that was that was that was fantastic. I mean. Um, so if you guys haven't played that, I won't go into too much detail. It's, it's a great game, you know, really cinematic narrative, as we've come to expect from the bigger mm-hmm. releases. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's is, also, it, is it still Rihanna Pratchett that's writing it? Uh, she's involved, yeah. Is uh, she writing it? Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. But I don't, don't think she's the only writer on it. Yeah, because she's not had it, because that was the thing I don't know. I'm not a big fan of 
her writing. Mm. Um, is is it better than the first Tomb Raider game? Because I've heard it is, and that's why I want to play it. Because the first Tomb Raider game, although I can, I can see why people enjoy it. There's less bullshit. I mean, it's not about the origin of Lara Croft, the Tomb Raider. It's just like, okay, here's this explorer archaeologist who is in a situation, um, and because there's not the origin story and the exposition, you have a lot more time to focus on that story. Is there more? Um, kind of more traditionally Tomb Raider content like puzzles and exploring a specific area and kind of making your way around uh, paths and all that kind of thing to try and progress your way through because I didn't really get that for Tomb Raider 2013 at all there's apart defi- from the smaller puzzle areas there's definitely more discovery there's right. like things that you'll 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 see and you'll be like well that's really cool you know there's more yeah. time to like stop and explore around certain um, certain areas like without spoiling spoiling anything um really early on in the story you come across this ship like an old mm-hmm. galleon that's frozen yeah. in ice and it's you just you pass it but it's purely um uh up, up to you it's it's not um, a main part of the story but you can go and explore that if you want mm-hmm. and and it's within that ship on this um the ship that's like teetering on the edge of a, an ice cliff um, there are puzzles on that ship to unlock um, artifacts. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite cool in that sense. Yeah. I've got another wee question, sort of along the same sort of line of questioning. In um, the early Tomb Raider games, yeah. Lara Croft had a very, her sort of character was kind of like a rich person playing almost I mean she was yeah a Tomb Raider but she she was doing it it was more like a hobby yeah she was rich and she yeah. yeah whereas in Tomb Raider I haven't played all of that game just to be clear but I did I bought it and played a lot of it yeah but not all of it I don't really um so I think she was a graduate or something. in that it felt like she was thrown into this yeah and she didn't really like it or not that she didn't like it, it wasn't that she was going seeking to be in this place it felt like she was being thrown into this place and what I want to know is from my experience of playing that game, it seemed as though it was a very traumatic experience. Yeah. yeah. So how do you reconcile that with the character what that was, Lara Croft, who was doing these things because she enjoyed it and found it to be exhilarating or whatever? Because that's even... So how can... I mean, if you're going through a traumatic experience... It's it's a reboot. Like, it's... Yeah. I, I don't think it has any ties to the old Lara Croft so, in the sense that it's this empowered female character who explores tombs. Or right. who... who Dis- discovers um, like lost civilization. So in this one, is she there by choice? To an extent, she's right. following her father's research. Okay. Uh, and it, it kind of leads on a trail of like, what was my dad up to? You know, I found his notes. Yeah. I want to pursue. I guess this that thing. gives the character more scope. It also yeah. gives them um, like a personal reason, motive, yeah. personal motive for being where they are and Rather being involved just, She's in rich shit. and she wants to be there. Yeah, which is, yeah. I think it's it's better. I mean, it's fair enough. It, it allows for more kind of character yeah. development that way. Okay, and then um, another question sort of that ties into that um, thing about the first one being quite traumatic. The first game drew a lot of criticism from it, certain people for it did. bordering on the torture porn side uh, of things. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to get into whether or not that is so... Um, it's, it's like it does feel gratuitous a series of traumatic experiences that yeah. Lara goes through in the first game yeah um, is this game less gratuitous than the first one definitely okay. yeah because yeah, yeah. that's one thing that sort of made it hard to play at times it's like the um, there's an episode of Spaced where um, 
uh, Simon Pegg's character is playing Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider two or three, and he's he's talking to Brian about how he just wants to drown Lara, and like there's that whole thing around the Tomb Raider games, like oh Lara, you can make her die really horribly because the deaths are quite sort of sudden and stark, yeah. and it's as if the developers Crystal Dynamics, I think, developed the new ones. They saw it and were like, oh yeah, that that like people liked how like how weird and kind of grossly Lara died. Let's add that up to twenty five. Yeah, for the first really, game, and it just doesn't work at all. It shouldn't horrible. be the focus of the thing. No, absolutely like, not. The, the mm. deaths in Tomb Raider were never meant to be. I don't think they were meant they, to they be over the focused. top. No, they, they weren't, weren't meant no. to be enjoyable. They tried to make them realistic to an extent, yeah. and, and people played around with that. Yeah. So, like last last week, one of the things that we spoke about, and unfortunately, it was cut because we lost some of the audio, um, was the many deaths of Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are thrown in there purely for. Um, for enjoyment, humor. and but yeah. they're they're cartoony, they're humorous, yeah. and yeah. he's a cartoon character. Whereas you've got a complete parallel, uh, no, actually, sorry, a complete uh, opposite with Lara, who's this character who we're supposed to emote with and relate to. Yeah, and uh, you know it's it shouldn't be a focus of uh, like enjoying no. killing her off. You know, you're it's... supposed to want to protect her and yeah. kind of play as her almost. Yeah, um, and that yeah, because it kind of there was a. That mixed in with the fact that she's going through this traumatic experience. I think the, the first game's fairly traumatic. I keep saying that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, know, she's like dragging herself through this island and she's like being battered by like battered, nature and bad guys and stuff. Battered, yeah. shot, almost raped, all that kind of shit. It's, yeah. But I mean, by comparison, there's, there's none. And I call it bullshit, right? Yeah. There, there's no bullshit okay. um, in, in this game. It's, it's like she's there for a reason. Yeah. The story is really well paced. Um, new characters are introduced, and they they have their own weight that they yeah. add to the story. But there's there's none of this like um, let's take you out of the story to to make you feel um, uncomfortable or to like to to do this thing which might be extreme. Or yeah. it's it's like I think it's just better better paced and more consistent. I've heard that like this game is a. a much better game than the first one. It Not is. that I'm saying that the first one is a bad game. I just it didn't really click with me. And it what is, I've yeah. heard of this game, I actually really would like to play it. So I probably I'd, will play it soon. I'd, I'd imagine it would be in Steam sale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know that's that's maybe a lazy way to promote a game, but if it's it's almost a year old now. Yeah. Um, on on PC at least. So if you get a chance to pick it up, def, definitely yeah. worth a play. I mean, like, that's you, the reason you probably get like um, maybe. Ten solid hours yeah. um, of, of like story and main quest in it. So a very visually impressive looking game as well. It's oh, really nice looking. It really is. Like I uh, I maxed out all the graphic settings on my PC, mm-hmm. and there are some beautiful vistas. Um, just the the particle dynamics and everything yeah. for like the snow mm-hmm. uh, when you're climbing this. Uh, I think you're in the Himalayas. Uh, it's just it's incredible. Um, just check it out. And um, speaking of Tomb Raider, yeah, uh, another similar game came out this year. Uh, Uncharted Four, yeah, um, which is very much boy Tomb Raider. Yeah, <laughs> um, Nathan, Nathan Drake is essentially a male Lara Croft. Yeah, yeah, kind of. I don't. I would say that Nathan Drake is a, a less interesting character mm-hmm. than Lara Croft. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, he's great, but he's it's, just he's a vehicle for quips. And, yeah, and I think I think both of them attract a different audience. Yeah, but both of the the whole like point of the games is the same yeah. thing you know you're you're this uh swashbuckling type well, yeah. maybe Lara's not swashbuckler but you're you're happy-go-lucky adventurer who's yeah. trying to discover something because that's what their passion is and yeah. they want to they've taken a lot of um 
influence from things like Indiana Jones. Yeah, I was just yeah. say Nathan is basically Indy. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, and I've always been a big fan of Uncharted. Right. Um, I only came. Or, along. No, I was. I, I haven't always been. I was a big fan of Uncharted, and this is very important. And as much as I loved Uncharted, I was starting to cool down on it. Right. Because the first game, um, I, well, actually, I came in on the second game. So the first game, I don't really had any impressions. I say I've always been a big fan of Uncharted. Yeah. I haven't really. It's completely the opposite. I I started playing when Uncharted Two came out, and yeah. I went back and played Uncharted One, which always felt, um, if you go back to it. It's difficult. It's hard to really game, that's yeah. the same with most games because yeah. the controls usually improve. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, they all play quite similar, and it, it yeah. just looks graphically less impre- right. impressive. Um, so I, I came but, in on three. Yeah. And but because of because of that, I, I would I would probably find it difficult to go back to one and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, because I would imagine by three it's improved a lot. Three three is a funny one because um, between two one two and three yeah gameplay wise not a lot changes. Uh uh-huh. um, There are minor improvements. Uh, two was is was the best one I think. Yeah. Um, in that the the third one goes from massive set piece to massive set piece. So you're 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 falling to the, into the desert from a plane and you're in like a car. You're on a boat that's sinking. It's all incredible, amazing, like yeah. visual set pieces that blow your mind. But there's no real depth. Uh, yeah, depth or over like tone. Yeah. It's it's very much just sort of. Do they feel like unrelated events that yeah. are just spectacles? Like you start in London, which was amazing. You're in London, and the first fight in that there's like a bar scene, which is probably one of the best brawls I've ever played in a yeah. video game. Um, because that's when they start to introduce a lot of context sensitive things to fights. Right. So like the smashing someone's head off a yeah. bar, or like grabbing a bottle, or yeah. Um, and that was all very impressive to me. And then you're you're running around like the boat when it's sinking, and the waters all coming in yeah yeah it's all amazing but two felt better in that it was more um it felt more um traditional like restrained in the way it sort of told its story right it kind of left the big set pieces there were set pieces but they weren't like massive set pieces it was important like you start i think you start on the the train that's hanging over the edge okay and you're climbing up the train and it has this really sort of like the opening is sort of like oh what what the fuck happened here you know um, uh, so the, that's the only real difference between the second one and the third one in terms of the gunplay and the gameplay mechanics it's all very similar so Uncharted is just uh, cover based shooting basically for gunplay isn't it yeah really well refined gameplay yeah. like Naughty Dog make great games and they all work really well um, but Nathan Drake is a mass murderer he is you just you're <laughs> Uncharted is just mowing down enemies. Yeah, uh, there's some stealth elements that sometimes feel a bit hit and miss. Yeah, because the stealth in that game is very much just. I, I think it's like, oh, you can stealth through the section, but it's as soon easy. as you get through, you're gonna have to fight fifty guys. Yeah, and if you were to just, if you you could either stealth it or you could just shoot fifty guys now. But uh, coming back to Uncharted Four, yeah. Specifically. Well, the thing is, uh, in, in Uncharted One and Uncharted Two and Uncharted Three, there's this problem, which is the gameplay is very much. Um, they, they love to do this thing where you get to a big open area uh, and then the, the, it's just waves of enemies. So you don't progress. Yeah. You're just waves of enemies. And the difficulty has always been in Uncharted 1 to 3, and I don't know much about the Vita port because I didn't play it, but the difficulty has always been bigger guys, bigger health bars. So it's not that the guy has any mechanics that are difficult. It's just that this guy here, he is stronger than you. You're going to take longer to kill him. 
So that's the difficulty. Higher damage, bigger shield. Sure. And that kind of felt a bit like... Once you get through a game like that, to the end, you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm a bit glad I don't have to do that anymore. Um, Uncharted 4 had this amazing... Like, that's the thing. The, the the pace of that game, it always felt like you were, you'd get for a bit and you'd get stopped by the game. It's like, now you have to pay your dues. Yeah. Shoot all these bad yeah. guys. The, the, the momentum it, it, it never erupts. felt like it. Yeah, yeah. There was no momentum. Uncharted 4 did this amazing... Because I came into Uncharted 4 thinking, oh, I might as well play it. It's the last Uncharted, which is what they advertised it as. It's Nathan Drake's final story. He's, yeah. you know, what's going to happen to Nathan Drake? And I was like, oh, all right then. One more go, you know, for, for old time's sake, let's play Uncharted 4. And the, the trailers for it looked incredible Yeah, as they well, were great. Yeah. Um, but in the back of my head, I was like, it's just going to be Uncharted because Uncharted has never... It's always sort of improved minor improvements on an, an already solid gameplay. Yeah, and this is his um, first out on yeah. PS4. So, I mean, you could be forgiven for thinking, right, it will be visual. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that... Uncharted 4 felt like a game that was getting tired. Like, because Uncharted 3 was great, but I was like, I don't think I can do it again. Because I don't want to play that same game again. Because they are the same game every time. Um, uh, which is not a criticism, because they've they've hit upon a really great formula. There's no point in changing the formula. Minor improvements, just play it safe. Yeah. Because it's going to be good. It's never not going to be good. But it might just get a bit tired. Uncharted 4 came out and I played it. And just, it blew me away with how much they'd managed to improve on the formula. Yeah. Because it's still the same game, but it's like a breath of fresh air. One of the major things they've done away with is the enemies, or the waves of enemies. Yeah. So the game maintains momentum from the start, like from the beginning, all the way through to the end. There's a momentum to the game that never really feels like you're having to stop. Yeah. And being told by the game that you can't progress. You're doing things and you're achieving things. It still has that sense of overcoming certain obstacles but it does it in a way where like you're not being stopped the the momentum keeps going the story keeps progressing uh, and it never feels like they're trying to fill the game out because that's what those things felt like they felt like filler just padding to like kind of make the story last longer to make yeah and to to extend your playtime because it's going to take you like maybe 15 minutes to get through this one area Whereas in uh, Uncharted 4, you're constantly moving throughout these areas, and they're beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and then they've they've sort of dabbled in open areas as well. It's not in the same. It's, I would never say it's open world. No. But there's uh, a certain bit where you're you're in Africa or somewhere I want to say, some somewhere that's big and open and, and way in the top. Jeep. Yeah. And you can go around and explore this area a bit, and there's things to see and stuff, um, and it feels a bit more open, but it's all still very contained, and that was great because. Uncharted is about exploration, but it's always been very linear, kind of. Uh, and this sort of um, made it feel like you were exploring a bit mm-hmm. more. Um, you had a bit more agency as to where you went and how you approached it. But sure. um, I think there's something to be said, though, for games that like promote exploration but are also linear to a degree. I mean, we've, we've seen, and especially in the last couple of years, like, having completely open-world games tend to have their caveats. Yeah. Well, the thing I would say about Uncharted 4, um, in the fact that it's so linear, is you know there's definitely something to find. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, um, if if you take, let's say, some really open world game, um, not any specific, but because there's no direction, you the, the game maker can't direct the player. Yeah. That's the thing that's missing. It's the same issue that you have in VR film. How do you direct... The get like the the audience's eyes yeah. to what you want them to see. Yeah. So you lose 
direction. Yeah. Not that it's um, no focus. That mm. you, because you can do anything. Yeah. Like there's no guarantee that you will be going yeah. where there is something interesting yeah, structure happening. and patience lost yeah. somewhere. Like it's something as simple as like, so say you were talking about Madagascar yeah. earlier in uh, Uncharted 4. It's just something as simple as like following tire tracks. Yeah. Because you couldn't do that in an open world as a result of like, well, how that, do you that would only sure apply. That they across it? Yeah, well, that something. would only apply to like one event as well. Yeah. Um, for example. Yeah. But it's, I, it, mean, like, I mean, you can, you can draw uh, with linear um, level design, you can draw the eye through lighting, yeah. through uh, point of interest. Camera. There's, yeah, there's so many things you can do. Um, and one of the things I think as well is, because people will come and say, like, oh, but you can do this. It's like, the thing is, if you want to direct somebody's eyes or the player in somewhere like a VR movie where you can look anywhere, there's no camera to direct your gaze, or in an open world game where there's nothing to funnel you into places, you can't be as subtle as how, mm-hmm. how you direct the player. You have to be. It has to be in broader strokes, I think. Yeah. Um, and the thing that, uh, but the thing is, if you don't know where the player is going, you can't always set them up in the right way, or to make mm-hmm. sure that they have a certain experience, or to make sure that where they go is going to be interesting. So in Uncharted, there's always something that, although, yeah, you're not free to do whatever you want. You're manipulated into this feeling of exploration. Mm-hmm which I think is very valuable. And people would go, well, why can't I just have freedom? And why must I be manipulated? If I'm just being manipulated, that's bad. I'm like, I'm we, not sure, because the whole point is that they want to elicit certain responses in you. We discussed this the other day about the um, illusion of freedom. Yeah, yeah the illusion of freedom podcast. in games. And this comes into this as well. But yeah, that, that bit was great. I, I enjoyed the more open aspect to some of the areas because it yeah. gave it a great feeling of scope. That I mean, I came across a bunch of um, screen captures I took yeah. in the game the other day, and I spent probably about an hour in one of the marketplaces. Yeah, just 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 uh, taking photos and gorgeous. actually like uh, you know acting like a holiday maker in this yeah. place, yeah. exploring and. And the game really wants you to do that as well because they they supply filters like proper camera settings and yeah. stuff. Yeah, well, you I mean, can I do was, that mid game. I was taking everything like thirty five mil yeah. and, and black and white photography, and it's I, I will I'll probably post some of these online. Yeah. I'd, I'd wanted to to cover a kind of aspect that's become more popular. This, this year but has been around for a while it's photography in video games Destiny there's a lot of that in Destiny yeah because you people and that's not officially supported in Destiny either they only after only because people found ways of removing the, the HUD um, so that they could take photos and the way you had to do it was you pressed start and then so you, you set up your shot so that you've got it the way you want it then you bring up the menu and then you close the menu and as you close the menu you take a screenshot because the, the, the HUD doesn't fade in right away uh, and then after that Bungie were like, well, people want to take screenshots, so we'll put in a HUDless setting so you can oh, remove the HUD. That's good. Um, and that's just, I think, yeah, it's come about now, I think, as games become more graphically... Superlative. Yeah. It, um, and Uncharted, particularly Uncharted 4, is one of the most, like, one of the best-looking games I've ever seen. It's very great. Yeah. I mean, it's not as graphically... Um, if you're playing a game on PC, yeah. it's going to be... Technically impressive, yeah. But the thing that Uncharted Four has going for it, even though it can't be technically better, mm. the art direction compensates yeah, yeah. for it so much. Absolutely, um, they really know how to use it in a way that just it it elevates it beyond its platform. Yes, it doesn't it's, look as good as a PS4 game. It looks so much better than a PS4 game. It's testament to like how good and how experienced Naughty Dog are at this point. They're yeah. incredibly familiar with the hardware that Sony put. They, they work with it exclusively so there, there is a, again there's something to be said for 
developers that work with a certain set of hardware rather than having to worry about porting to other platforms or PC and that is if you've yeah. got one set of hardware to work with you can exploit its full potential and that's another have a result like that. argument for a linear game mm. because a lot of visual tricks wouldn't work if the player had three ring because there's ways that they can sort of trick you into thinking that it's more than just a backdrop you know we, we really need to do a full discussion on yeah. open world versus linear narrative because yeah. we've, we've Discuss that so much. We need to exercise it. We need to just really get do. it over yeah, a system. I think I think there's definitely yeah. there's, there's arguments for both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mo- moving on from that though, one thing I'd like to say about Uncharted Four is, um, have you completed it? Yes. Yeah. Um, I've not played it. Uh, you travel to Scotland. Yes. In Uncharted Four, and it's the funny if if you're Scottish, it's like the funniest thing because uh, I believe where they say they are, it's meant to be just down from Glasgow or something. Really? Yeah. Um, if you're looking on the map, I don't know, and it's it's like this uh, church that doesn't exist. And it looks like it's the Highlands. It does look, <laughs> but it's not. It's meant to be because there's the, so much heather yeah. uh, as you're like walking through this field, and it's like it's like um, like kind of almost orange wild grass or something. Yeah, as well. and it's snowy, and the the coast. I mean, it's it's I know why it's, fuck. it's meant to be along the Clyde. It's, you're meant to be along the Clyde. That's, that's bullshit. <laughs> and like, um, have they and, have they seen Glasgow Beach? I don't know, but it's like um, it's desolate as well. There's nobody there, so obviously Naughty Dog. Um, their games are very much going by sort of like Indiana Jones themes where they've got a very simplistic view of yeah. the rest of the world. It's really but they good. do the same for like... I, I mean, they must have uh, done um, research trips yeah. to, in order even just to like get the foliage right, like yeah. the, the well, plants that, and stuff they had. But they've, they've said, right, okay, this is Scottish, this is Scottish, this is Scottish. Let's put it in one area and make a Scottish as fuck area. Yeah, I think they know. And I think it's partially... Um, intentional but it's still quite funny to just be like there is no way this is anywhere near the Clyde it's, it's kind of like where is it that Indiana Jones is in the second film Temple of Doom uh, he's in India isn't it it's, it's the most generic India like in any film yeah. Like, so it's basically again calling back to Indiana Jones but it's like it does they like really matter if it's a generic representation of the country because yeah. you know it's that country Temple, it looks Temple like of Doom is a very it's representation of representation I'd say it's self-awareness of, yeah. of how bad they're being you know yeah. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. they have no awareness of, of the fact that they're it's, it's full of stereotypes yeah it's awful yeah I mean I watched it recently uh, it's a pretty unbearable film yeah I'm not gonna, I don't like Temple of Doom I'd okay. say it's the weakest of the three Indiana Jones films mm-hmm. um, I'd, I liked the fourth one better than Temple of Doom really That's so I might have to um, I didn't mind Crystal's Call that much no I thought it, I mean it's not a good film no. but it it's crimes. The p- things that people complain about it, um, they're complaining about it in the context of this isn't Indiana Jones. Whereas yeah. my complaints are more this isn't good filmmaking. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, Which is fair criticism. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say Naughty Dog is as bad as that because no. they were pretty. I'd say it's racist. It's pretty racist. Temple of Doom. I thought you were saying like Uncharted 4 is... Or maybe not racist, maybe more xenophobic. Oh, I didn't mean right. it like, as so much in that line. It was more sort of like along But there is like a huge stereotypes and it's sort of it's, like a very yeah. simplistic. It's just quite ignorant. Of, yeah, like they're, they're yes. playing on audience ignorance as well. Yeah. Right? Well, they were like because you're going to um, the is it the the leader of the country or whatever, and they're they're serving dinner, and it's like monkey brains. It's like, come on now. Yeah. Like it's just the way that they they depict them as being sort of uncivilized. People are going to walk out of a cinema and be like, "That's fact." They eat yeah. monkey brains across. Um, but like, what they don't. <laughs> Naughty Dog is more sort of geographically ignorant. Have you ever had haggis? Yeah. <laughs> Because um, it does look Scottish. It looks very Scottish. In a sort of like shortbread tin Scotland. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, I think it's really lovely. It's a it's really, a really great like bit of the game as there's, well. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of stuff in the art book as well about yeah. that area. It's just really cool. Um, but I guess from the beginning, Naughty Dog is also sort of they've kind of taken these things and bent it to their narrative. Yeah, you know, like history. It's like Nathan Drake did all this, but he didn't actually. But this is not Nathan Drake. Uh, Francis Sir Francis Drake. Yeah, it's all based off of history with quotation marks around it. Yeah. it's not real history. It's just their story. Um, Uncharted 4 was amazing there's only one game that surpassed Uncharted 4 for me this year what's that Dark Souls 3 oh yeah I, I love Dark Souls I, I, I am still played. playing that game yeah. I am so wrapped up in that and it came out in uh, April March or early April I think March was it I was, I was out of the country at the time but uh, I, I got it as soon as I came back and uh, why didn't you play the, play the Japanese one you scrub because I was in Japan I was on holiday <laughs> god damn it we went to Japan all we did was play video games that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. Went to Super I, Potato and played Metal Slug. It was your first time there, though. I mean, it's, that's, it's got to be we, we did other things. We saw culture. Yeah. No, I just played video games. <laughs> you saw culture. You did a culture. We did. We had um, two days of culture. Well, and then right. 13 days of <laughs> video games. I suppose that's related to 2016 in general. Yeah, I mean, we've all, we all went to Japan this year. Yeah, yes, we did. It was amazing. It was a good time. Um, Dark Souls 3. Yeah. The most amazing thing for me about Dark Souls 3 is how... Um, how much it took you back to Dark Souls 1. Right. Dark Souls 2 was a departure. It was. Um, and I think we've discussed this before yeah, on the we podcast. Have. It's, it's kind of like a, a lot of people who are fans of the series don't really see it as being... as it's not. It doesn't feel like a Souls game. Yeah. It's a game that is Souls-esque. Yeah. It, it doesn't um, have the direction of the, the yeah, first game. It doesn't the have the depth. It doesn't have the level design. wouldn't say it's a bad game. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like the same game series. It's not as tight. Yeah. Dark Souls 3 is definitely a return to what made Dark Souls 1 great. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a, just a sort of, I don't know what's the term, like je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's a, a certain essence of Dark Souls that was missing in Dark Souls 2. Got you. Yeah. Um, you can't quite verbalise it, or I can't. Well, not not in a, like a tweet. No, <laughs> there's I mean, there's a lot to be said. I mean, yeah. a, a lot of it's direction. You know, there's a lot of people who complain about placement of monsters. Yeah, but it's not just level game or, or placement of monsters. Or um, there's a sort of. But these all add up yeah. to this bigger. It didn't um, have that. It central. tried Dark Souls two to have this weird melancholy feeling right to the world, which it didn't really have. I don't think it had it. It, it maybe it was wasn't subtle enough in the way it tried to do it but the atmosphere and everything it just felt it fell flat mm-hmm. where it doesn't in Dark Souls 3 they sort of managed to have that weird melancholy thing and do you know what I think a major thing of it is I was playing Bloodborne recently and one of the major themes I loved in Dark Souls I realised was this idea of a once prosperous place yeah. that has now descended to the point where it's like danger like, there's a feeling of danger in Dark Souls. It's like uh, it's prevalent in all the Souls games that I've played. One in Bloodborne, I've played two, uh, Dark Souls two or three. Yeah. But um, it's the sense that like the story's already happened, and you're picking up the pieces yeah. after it. Yeah, and you're finding out like all oh, this terrible stuff that's happened, especially in Bloodborne. Some really bad stuff's happened in yeah. that. Um, but like I'm guessing it's very much the same three. Yeah, yeah. So in, yeah in Dark Souls one, go... you've got like Anorlando mm-hmm. and this world, and you're I think you're post. It's like a big fight between the dragons and. Uh, the humans or something yeah um, and it's all amazing it's just sort of yeah like you're saying you're, you're it ties into the way the lore is because there's nobody there to really tell you the story because no. the story's happened and it's it not yourself. been reported yeah so you're sort of in this world that is you can see it Anor Londo's this great huge city 
and you go there and it is no longer a living city. It's like a dead or dying city. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. And you can see it in the architecture. The architecture is amazing and grand. So at one point, this was uh, a cultured city which put emphasis on architecture and built... It must have had a lot of money because it's mm. prosperous. Yeah. And you can see it. There's other places like Sands Fortress. It's older, but um, there was once a fortress there that was, you know, home to I don't know who, but it's the same in Bloodborne. Bloodborne Yarnum is this grand city with this amazing ornate architecture. It's much bigger than any one yeah. person. Um, and uh, you can just imagine it as a living city with culture, you know, and putting importance on these ornate. Art is basically saying, you know, art always feels like a, a thing that is a sign of a prosperous city because they have nothing to worry about. Yeah. They can focus on art and uh, culture in that way. Yeah. So Yarnum once felt like a place that had a lot of time for this ornate architecture and a lot of money and a lot of prosperity. Um, there is like poorer areas of Yarnum. Yeah. But you can imagine central Yarnum as being this place that was bustling with people who were busying themselves with art or yeah and like, you know. throughout all the games as well there's there's a lot of symbolism yeah. there's a lot of um, reference to religion and to to, to factions within yeah. these environments and you know you can you can imagine them at some point um, warring with one another you can, can you can see that there must have been like yeah. geopolitical differences something's happened that has sort of been the catalyst for it being what it is now yeah this um, city that is desolate or full of horrible creatures or or violence and and just that is Yarnum is a an inhospitable place when yeah. you arrive to the city no one wants to open their door to you and you know there's people who are trying to kill you there's huge creatures and horrible you know um sort of lovecraftian things and it's this feeling of being post prosperity yeah I've, i love that you use a both completely blood one right no 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 okay but i played pretty works. far through well relatively far through it but Right, that's fine. I was going to say something about like we're not even talking about Bloodborne. Dark, Dark, Dark Souls Three. Dark Souls Three is the the only game in the series that I've fully completed. Right. Yeah. Sorry, um, that, there was a point for the tangent was that sure. Dark Souls Three captures that post prosperity, that yeah. melancholy, which I don't think Dark Souls Two really had it. I mean, it tried. Oh. I think it's almost like it, rather than creating uh, like a massive uh, world that was prosperous, they tried to start with the. The, like the sorrow and the melancholy there, yeah. there was nothing to lose no it was already lost you know yeah. whereas in Dark Souls 3 it's like you say there's this such grand architecture there's a kingdom there's um, there's the slums within it as well yeah. and it's it's just such a coherent world the it's world is so the well biggest character in Dark Souls and Bloodborne that there was something to lose yeah, yeah. and and you you have this uh, you have this this purpose within this world that is you know, you failed before you even started. It's just, yeah. it's so grand, it's so beyond you. Uh, and yet you're expected to carry it out. And yeah. I think it also, like from being in, in this world where the lowest creature can yeah. kill you if you make one one false what false move. Yeah, yeah. it is humbling. It's... Um, there's this real sense of futility in yeah. the Dark Souls games. Yeah. Where like the game is always saying that to you as well. It's like the, the tagline for the first one was prepare to die. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're gonna go in here, and it is futile. There's and, no, and there are you know, so many people that will take that literally, and they'll quit, and that's yeah. it. They, the Souls games are too hard for me. There, you need to enjoy. It, it's it's a game of enjoying punishment, basically. Yeah, you need to hate you need, yourself. Yeah, and you need to love a challenge. But like, um, I think the whole by the end of Dark Souls, I think you gain a new respect for certain aspects of 
gameplay. Definitely. Because it the game teaches you, like if you don't learn this, but the game teaches you that to accept death in games yeah. as not just the end, but like progression. Yeah. You know, um, when you die in Dark Souls, the death is permanent. It doesn't start you back. It, you, you move in location-wise, you go back to a checkpoint yeah. or whatever. You go back to that location, mm-hmm. but everything you did up to that point is there's permanence to it so if you use an item that item is gone if you found an item you have that item if you leveled up you have those levels there's a permanence to death in Dark Souls yeah. but it's also transient in that death is not the end so you 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 stop fearing death in that video game in the same way that you do other places although there, there are certain aspects to the design in, in the yeah. Souls uh, games that do discourage it in the sense yeah. that you do have that loading screen every time yeah. you die you lose your currency yeah so it's not like you can just like say i mean right i've died but i'm gonna yeah. go and i'm gonna go and spend what i did earn up to this point leveling up yeah you, it's you so that go back encourages you to to be sensible yeah. and to like to think about the situation you're in yeah. and i think that coupled with a, a fight mechanic in all all the games that is it's pretty complicated but yeah. it, it does teach you to to pay attention to your timing to not rush in, uh, with the the exemption to that being Bloodborne, in that there there's a reward for uh, you know encouraged to, be to, be to recouping your, yeah. your your blood. Uh, the thing I was thinking about in in Bloodborne and Dark Souls, there is that whole sort of the difference between uh, how you approach fights in Bloodborne. Um, you need to be very careful in how you initially engage an enemy. Mm-hmm. You do that in Dark Souls too. You sort of look at an area and you go, I'm going to go this way, take up this group of guys and then go down that way. And you do sort of have a consideration as to how you engage it. But once you're in the fight in Dark Souls, you can still have that, you put up your shield, uh, you sort of like sidestep and there's a bit more, you know, each separate engagement is considered. So you're like, I'm going to go in there and and get with my spear. Yeah. That engagement, you consider, um, you're you're sort of blocking, you're attacking. It's all, all the timing is very important. Oh, definitely, yeah. In Bloodborne, once you've engaged an enemy, you still have that, but the emphasis is on the the initial engagement. It's like the the whole area, you need to be very careful when and how you engage an enemy. Yeah. Because you can get caught out so much quicker mid-fight than you can in Dark Souls. There's less chance to correct yourself mid-fight. Um, you really have to think on your feet in Bloodborne, yeah. like um, because everything like combat's a lot quicker as well. Yeah. Um, obviously it's it's quite. It's I wouldn't call Dark Souls combat slow. No. It's considered like you're saying that you have to consider everything. Whereas Bloodborne, it's all about like if you get in the first hit, that's you in, and you just need to keep wailing, wailing, wailing. Then. If you get hit, you have to go right back in. If yeah. you get hit, you can. In Dark Souls, you're in your. Uh, if you get hit, your instinct is to step back, yeah. put up that shield, mm-hmm. and think about your next engagement. You yes. Know, your next strike. In Bloodborne, if you get hit, uh, if your instinct is to step back, you lose that health permanently. You'd lose that health permanently anyway in Dark Souls. Yeah. You've lost it. That's the thing. In Bloodborne, you can get it back if you get another couple of strikes in. So the the you're encouraged to keep up. You know your onslaught basically and keep yeah. going back. It's that's um, kind of implied vampirism to an yeah. extent. Like it's a very minor difference, blood. but blood the, the the implication to the game play is so massive for just a minor change. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's. Um, do you have any? Do Do we want to talk about Final Fantasy? Uh, I think um, we talked about Final Fantasy a lot last week. We did, and we really want to keep it for that. Um, I I do think it's telling that, that none of us have really brought it up in our, our like best of the year. I was. Of. It's um. It's not there for me. I wouldn't say no. It didn't make my shortlist. No. 
Um, not I think that's, that's fair. It's... But I, the, the, the difficulty is, and the reason why I don't want to discuss it so much now is I don't want to give the wrong impression. Because it's not... I don't want to pan it. Yeah. It's not that I hate it. It's just that there are mitigating circumstances that have stopped it from being in my shortlist. Yes. Um, and Is that the same for you, Dave, as well? Yeah. If, um, you, if, if we want to... Yeah, sorry. No, that's fine. I really want to break it down and say, this is what's really good about it. This is what's really bad. The difficulty is I can't make sweeping statements about that game. Okay. It just isn't possible, I don't think. I think there's too much wrong with it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that's right with it. Yeah. And, and really, the only way to be fair to it is to break it down and say... If, if you have to like, really judge it as a whole, it's just you wouldn't consider it. Yeah, as a, I, as a whole, I'm, I'd say it's um, it's not the game of the year material. It's not even my best of 2016 The material. problem that I have with it is like there are a lot of good aspects to it, but the bad aspects... I take such umbrage with that actually devalues any good that there is right. in the game for me. Right. To, for me, yeah, it's the same. The sort of there's the good and the bad, and if you were to stack it up, mm-hmm. the the good does not outweigh the bad. As a as a game, as the sum of its parts, it is not a good game. Each no. separate part you could take and and judge it and go, this is great. There's stuff in there that I, I love. It's like this is great. There's stuff in there that's this is bad, and the sum of its parts doesn't overcome that. It, no. it gets bogged down in the bad and the bad sort of holds the game as a whole back uh, and it's kind of hard without yeah really breaking it down without being I would say. if you if you were going to say any anything about the game in a sweeping statement I know you said that's difficult I would say and this don't take this like wrongly or harshly but it is true the game is a mess right a mess of good and bad and middling um, and it's a damn shame because that's not what I expected Final Fantasy to be. 13 was not a mess. No, 13, 13 was a game was... I didn't like. There's a difference. Yeah. Okay. 13 is a, a fairly... The thing that 13 had is... Um, had missteps. Yeah. But as a whole, it, it came together to make something fully realised. It never felt like it compromised on anything. No. It's just that the stuff that it wanted to do wasn't giant yeah. with it. I quite like 13 as a game. Uh, I would say it's pretty low down in my best of Final Fantasy games but as a game it's pretty fair, fair enough Final Fantasy 15 is more of a Final Fantasy game than 13 is it's just a bit poor it's like you said it's a mess yeah um, the, um, the issue that I took with 13 was like it's not the kind of um, I don't like using the word narrative but I have to um, the, the, well, kind the narrative of, structure is off it's, yeah, that, like, it's a mess there's the, no narrative structure the, the issue that I had with 13 um, was that it wasn't the kind of story or narrative or um, focus that I wanted from a game. Um, I understood like it was well told. It was just a bit like badly paced, just didn't, and it just didn't gel with me. You. Fifteen has a story that I would desperately want to be told, but the game cannot tell it right. at all. The the issues are in the first and second acts, I'd say yeah. as well. If you take like the narrative yeah. of the game, uh, and by the time it does sort out some problems, it goes some way to repair that. A yeah. wee bit, yeah. it's too late. Okay. And I would say, yeah. Well, let's move on then, because we will discuss yeah. it fully. I really think we need to just... Yeah. And it, we'll, we'll discuss it, it in a, a separate podcast. It's going to be yeah. full of spoilers, full of rage, probably. And No, I, I don't, well, I'm not angry. I'm no, just, sure. I'm yeah, there's Constructive no, criticism. Yeah, there's no point in, in my feelings to that game where I feel angry, or I feel like they weren't trying... I mean, yeah, it's too, I think, subtle. Okay. It's... Yeah, you really need to... Yeah. Did you have any other games this year you want to talk about? Like uh, yeah, there's one or? last game um, that I'd like to talk about, and it was it's quite different for everything else we've discussed. It's Senran Kagura Estival Versus. Uh, 
Right. Which is, have you ever played any of the Seven Kagura games? No, Ashley's a big fan. Um, so basically, um, they started off as a very low budget 3DS title, um, which is it's Streets of Rage, but like with terrible frame rate. And Can we just call it what it is? It's Titan Ninjas. Titty Fighter. Yeah. It's Titty Fighter. It's Titan Ninjas, yeah. But it is, um, that's the kind of game it is. Like, um, it started off as a kind of low quality um, Streets of Rage clone um, with kind of Devil May Cry type combat. Like, it was all about chain loops and all that kind of thing. Um, combos, uh, air combos, all that kind of thing. Air, air raves, aerial rave is the word. Um, but that caught on because the gimmick is like tits. Right. And um, it's actually got some quite nice characters. Like they're not like amazing. I have seen the character design. I think I'm familiar with the artist that did them. Um, yeah, I've seen some of his other work. But um, like it's it's got nice designs. It's got an appealing look. It's quite it's nice and colourful. The game doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, Estival Versus is a sequel to Shinobi Versus. Okay. Which is a a spin off of the main series. Um, Estival Versus is on PS4 and Vita. Um, and it is more of a Dynasty Warriors type game. It's okay. not so much a Streets of Rage type thing. Um, so it's all about um, masses of enemies, um, getting them, getting lots of them in one area at one time and taking them out as quickly as possible. Um, it's got like various different combos, but it's, it's very much like a, a slightly not as good Musou game. A Dynasty right. Warriors Musou, whatever you want to call it. Um, there are lots of characters in it. Yeah. All of them play differently to some degree. Like There's obviously the, the loops and all that kind of thing. Or combos and that are mostly the same, um, but they all play differently. Um, they all have different aspects to their characters. Like there's one that likes being hit, um, called Riona, right? Um, which is that Riona is the name of a fetish of watching women wrestle and hit each other. I think. Okay. Um, so that's her. Um, then there's one that is um, like, well, there's loads of different ones. I, I'm try- I can't remember like most of them because I've not played the game in a while. Um, but like the main kind of appeal for the game is there's crazy combat, dynamic characters, jiggle physics, um, and all that kind of thing. And there's plenty to do in it as well. Like, um, you can dress up your characters, there's loads of different quests. Like, uh, you've got your main quest, which is like 50 or 60 missions. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you've got like five missions for every single character. Like, that's a wee side story. So, like, all the characters have their own little, like, quirks and interactions with other characters. Um, so they're not, like, they come across as one dimensional, but they're not. Like they actually have like weird things that go on with them. Like there's one um called Katsuragi and her whole thing is she really likes like fondling the other girls. Right. And her side quest is she gets tired of tits and goes on the asses instead. I see. Um so it's that's, all, that's quite a deep uh character development there. I never said anything about it being <laughs> deep. Um I just say that it's um it's a game with lots of like quirky things between the characters and that's its appeal. Yeah. It's like the characters interact with each other it's quite funny. It's a very Japanese sort of comedy, like body it carry on a, type of thing. I mean, looking at the, the some of the gameplay footage for it just now, because I've not seen this um, this title. Uh, I've, I've seen Ashley play one of the Vita games, mm-hmm. but I think, like you said, it was it was more kind of uh, individual battles or something. Uh, Seren Kagura one and two um, were on the three DS. Um, they are more uh, scaled down and quite they're, they're quite weird games. Um, it's hard to describe them, but um, the Vita and PS four ones are very much. Dennis Warriors types titles. It does look like it could be quite a fun game, yeah. It's it's a good game. Um, there's a lot of different uh, character design going on. It's a good brainless beat up beat em up. Right. That's that's the good thing about it. It's like I I think I placed it quite higher this year because one it was incredibly disappointed by a lot of other games. Right. Um and two, it's quite honest in what it is. It never says 
that's trying to be anything else than what it blatantly is in the box. No, it certainly knows its audience. It knows its audience. It doesn't pretend to be anything else. Um, it acts exactly what it is like. Um, and I really respect it for that. I think it's a great wee game. Um, it's not going to appeal to everybody, but it's 20 quid in the PSN store, so give it a shot if you think you'd like it. That's it. Fair play. Um, we didn't mention this one game. I feel like it needs mentioned quickly. Oh? Because I really enjoyed Doom. Oh, oh yeah, Doom. Yeah, of course that came out this year. Yeah, and the thing I, I really want to say about Doom is what I love it for is reminding us that first-person shooters can be fun. Yeah. It doesn't need to be... There's um, the sort of popular first-person shooters. It's been this way for a while, and it's because of like Call of Duty, mm-hmm. um, Battlefield. They, they've gone for uh, realistic, in, in quotations. Mm-hmm. You know, It's like... Um, they're boring now. We've had them for so long. Yeah. You know, um, trying to be, uh, yeah, realistic in that. The, the way the guns work, the way your motion works, you know, you're, you're running around, they have the sort of like... Um, it's a sway. It's, yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say boring because I think that shows in the games as well because like, I think the gameplay itself has not changed much. Like, that's mm-hmm. obvious when they tried to introduce like, um, like mechanics for Titanfall into the new... Um, Call of Duty like obviously but like jetpacks and all that kind of thing because yeah. um, Titanfall actually had some interesting stuff going on I know the game didn't do very well but I have t- I've heard Titanfall 2 is much better yeah. um, but I think it stands the testament like the gameplay itself is quite dated and there's not much fun going on it's very centred around people that are already hooked in at the multiplayer and that's why the campaigns are so getting so huge and bombastic involve so many and they layer new novelties each time they release yeah. a title which is but yeah. they've got this, this there was this I think idea like Going back and looking at games of the time when Doom was around, yeah, very fast-paced mm-hmm. movement. You yeah. know, Twitch gameplay. You know, it's so sort of like um, by that I mean uh, frantic shooting. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. games like Call of Duty, they're not frantic. You, you move from one area to the next. You bunker down behind your cover and you you take shots at whoever is in the distance. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and you, you you reload tactically. Yeah, you. Uh, when you get hit, you you hide to get your health back rather than yeah. searching for health packs like the, the thing about Doom you do in the old is games. If you lose health, the best way to deal with that is to keep attacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the you melee know. attacks re- um, return health to you. And I think Doom has shown us that um, modern first-person shooter games can be a modern first-person shooter game, but still embody that sort of like uh, Unreal Tournament was the same. Yeah, uh, Quake, Doom, that kind of game. Um, at one point, I think people moved away from it because it felt dated. Yeah. But Doom has shown us that that's not true. Uh, and another game which I think is which has gone back to that sort of uh, that embodies that surprisingly is Destiny, because um, Halo was never that kind of game. You know that Call of Duty kind of game. Halo has more um, roots in games like Quake and Halo, uh, yeah. Doom, and stuff like that. The gameplay is more similar. It's different. It's a they they sort of developed it more, but you're you're running around the place. You know, you're f- it's fast. You're not slow. I mean, I'd, I'd maybe argue that because I think uh, some of the more modern shooters have maybe been inspired by Halo mechanics. But they took it in a completely different way. Like Call of Duty. I mean, it's uh, the certainly the genre is different. If you play Halo and Call of Duty, are completely different. I games, think, I'd say. Yeah. I think um like. But I, th- I think also just just as different are Halo and Unreal Tournament, or Halo and the original Doom games. So I would that, say I would, less than you'd think. I would I, say sorry, when you go. Um, there there is a progression from there, but 
I mean, sure, I'd say it's more in the middle. It's neither one nor the other. But um, De- Destiny has this way of putting you in these frantic, close situations where you're jumping around the place and running fast. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that it feels very similar to the way that Doom 2016 plays. They feel like really similar games uh, in that they've remembered that a first-person shooter game doesn't have to try and be realistic. I mean, I know Call of Duty is sort of moving away from that where it's like, we need to introduce jetpacks and wall running and stuff. That feels more out of desperation than actually being innovative and inventive I think and fun. Having not played the most recent Call of Duty, looking they're, at it, it just feels like a clusterfuck. They're absolute, like, I mean, I don't want to pan a game. Mm. It's shit. They're, they are schlock, like, in the worst sense mm. of the word. Schlock, where they don't... A lot of their design choices now do feel like panic as they see their sales fall and they're like, we can't just keep doing the same thing. We need to do something. What are other people doing? Oh, they've got jetpacks. Put jetpacks in Call of Duty yeah. with no consideration of the greater game design. Yeah. Jetpacks don't fit in Call of Duty. Sure. So the problem with your game isn't that it doesn't have jetpacks, it's that it's not built to have jetpacks, yeah. maybe. I don't know. But yeah, Doom is a lot of fun. I've only played it for a few hours. Doom is like, I don't know, the, the word, what does bombastic mean? It sounds like Doom is bomb. <laughs> it's, it's, Doom has, has a lot of attitude. Yeah. Um, bravado, maybe? Yeah. It's it's like... A, it's quite bold, a return to form. Yeah. It's, um, it doesn't give a shit. Is, it's just like, you know, it's no nonsense. You just yeah. pick it up and play. And It's like you were going to go in there and we're going to annihilate some folk with a shotgun. Really get in their face and just have fun. Yeah. And I know that that's, a, that's not a term I would describe for why the game is... They obviously didn't say, we're going to make a game that's fun, because everyone wants to make a game well, that's yeah. fun. But this, they did make a game that's fun. That's the a phrase that I've already used in this podcast, but there's no bullshit. Like, yeah. there's, there's no politics involved with who you're killing. It's demons. Demons yeah. are bad guys. Yeah. There's there's no uh, like massive story uh, introductions or anything. You yeah. like you get the briefest of brief um, you know, backdrop stuff. You can, fact, up, you can pick up a codex and yeah. like more information and read into it if you want. In fact, Doomguy himself, um, one of the TV monitors or whatever, starts to spit out exposition. And it just goes like, oh fuck this! And yeah, like punches punch, it, yeah, yeah. and then you're immediately killing some more guys. Yeah, it's um, it's it's fun. It's just it drops you into the action and but it's you... frantic. That's what I really enjoy about it. Feeling like you're in the middle of it, and your heart starts to race as you're trying to uh, deal with all of the demons that the, the game is throwing at you. Destiny does it in the exact same way, where your your heart starts to race, and you feel like you know you start seeing red maybe <laughs> i feel like in a way that, that the whole game it has these really frantic moments and you're you're constantly feeling as though you're up to your neck in it and you're just barely dealing with it in, in a way that is so satisfying when you finish it and you're like oh i, I made it through that section destiny uh, destiny and doom have exactly the same way it elicits the exact same feeling i think it's amazing i think um like one thing i like to say about um the way that doom plays and the way it um games like that play like um you made a comparison to Halo, which is yeah. more like older games. And I think one thing I thought about um regarding that is like how regenerating shields and health were introduced. Um so like obviously none of the older games really had regen health. In fact they didn't have regen health at mm. all or shields. It was Halo that really introduced shields. Mm. Um but Halo still encouraged you to just keep going and keep going and keep going. Because there was no cover um like mechanic or anything like that. But I think at one point like the newer game, obviously, the newer games um, like Call of Duty and Halo, uh, not Halo, Call of Duty and Battlefield, have taken inspiration for Halo because Halo really did change the game for console shooters and all that kind of thing. But I think they've maybe misinterpreted like what regenerating shields actually meant. 
Um, and now it's been integrated into obviously they have regenerative health. Yeah, so there's no point at which you would have you would lose a certain amount of health and never get it back. Yeah. If you take a step back, you get that health back. Mm. Um, it's encouraging you to be cagey and hide. Yeah. Whereas Halo's regenerating shields and time spotters as well never really encouraged that hiding. Well, as I think the such. thing that the regenerating shields in Halo afforded you was, um, so Halo has two health systems basically. It's mm-hmm. like the old health bar where you needed to pick up health packs to refill it. So once you lose health, that's it. You're not getting that back yeah. unless you yeah. get a health pack. The regenerating shields allowed you to step out from cover more because yeah. you knew that you had the safety of being able to go out there mm-hmm. yeah, and, exactly. and not permanently lose your health. Um, so it sort of you encouraged you to engage with the enemies and to get yeah, in the thick exactly, of it. Yeah. Whereas the regenerating health encouraged you to not get in the thick of it. Yeah. In a bit, it sort of, you knew that if you were played it safe, you're just going to get through it because you're never going to lose that much health. You know, if you run out into it though, you're going to die. So it, it, there's no danger. I think one of the other things that I was thinking of, like saying that Halo was more of a modern shooter is that you have a limited loadout as well. You can only carry like two weapons with you or one uh, yeah, larger weapon. I would say that um, the difference between... <clears throat> I wouldn't say... I would say that Halo is a game that cut like drew its influences from the, the older games like Doom and stuff and yeah. innovated on it, which makes it to me more of that kind of game because it has so much in that pedigree of game or whatever. Yeah, I, I definitely don't um, think it's a bad thing. Yeah. I just think that they're, they're kind of different in the sense that, I mean... Newer games built off of Halo, but they developed it in a, a different direction. I think they drew a lot from Halo without really understanding the, the finer points of it. I think they create different challenges yeah. in the Halo games. Like uh, your your limited loadout is a restriction. Yeah. Um, whereas in the Doom games, you know, you do accumulate ammunition, uh, weapons. Yeah. But to me, that 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 isn't uh, that's, so that's much that's the point. Is how there. you play it. Yeah. So exactly. um, I mean, when you're playing Doom and all that, and you're running around and, and the way you're engaging with I remember in Halo, the way you would fight. What are those huge enemies called? You'd get right in there and you're like jumping over them to avoid their hits and stuff, and you're right in the thick of it. Yeah. That is present still in, in Destiny, and it's present in Doom. And so the way you engage with the game, although the mechanics have a different... The restrictions are different. So like you said, there's different guns. That's a, a way you can point and say, this is different and more like modern games. But the way you engage with the game with Halo, to me, always felt more like the way you engage with Doom and the way you engage with Quake. And the way... And I think the difference is being in the thick of it um, and the way you engage with your enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that there are changes that provide... Um, they built on those games and made changes that provide newer challenges, but I always felt the essence of the game felt more like Doom yeah. to me than it did to Call of Duty or, or Battlefield. I mean, um, as an aside as well, the uh, the soundtrack in Doom is pretty incredible. Yeah. It's really cool. Doom, my favourite thing about the soundtrack is um, the the sort of anecdote from the audio designer, or not the audio designer, the composer who was told, uh, no metal, yeah. don't do not do metal this time. Uh, and I, I don't know whether or not he went away and tried it without metal and sort of thought, fuck this, or or just immediately was like, no, fuck it, metal. Because yeah. it's like the most metal soundtrack. And it works so well. Like I think if they tried to do anything but, it probably it might have felt like it was taking itself yeah. too seriously. I think the, the soundtrack as well is like a good, like because Doom 2016, which is what I'm going to call it, um, is a, it's an evolution of what Doom is or was in 1983. It, rejects- it feels... It feels like what Doom would be now, yeah. and that's like going back to music. It's like it's all it's very um, 
I don't know. It's most like it feels like um over the top, over the top. Like um, was it East Bay hardcore? I don't know. Like, but it's called the Gent, um, D J E N T. Like that's right. like a heavy, like like death metal t- sort of guitar. Whereas yeah. in nineteen eighty three, it was Metallica ripoff midis. Yeah. Which, but that's what it was in the early nineties. Like, oh, like that's what metal was. Yeah. And now that's what metal is now. Is like it's industrial sound and it's really heavy, and everything else in the game fits with it as well. Like. Uh, it just feels like a like it's one of the only games where like the reboot has felt like I was like is Doom sixteen is it twenty sixteen is a reboot it's not a sequel as such no. it is a reboot yeah. and it's one of the few reboots that really feels like it's actually paying attention to what the original game was. Well, the one of the big things it does is it entirely rejects Doom three that kind of game. Yeah, like yeah. Doom three. I loved Doom three, but it's not the it doesn't embody anything that Doom nope. was before then. No. It's a very claustrophobic, atmospheric game. Um, but it, it it sort of is it, the same trappings of modern first person shooter design, the way you your your guns work and, and all that, um, and Doom is basically just sort of like nah fuck that, going back to older first person game yeah. shooting games and, and it really understands it sort of. I think we really needed it as well in, yeah. a, in a year where there were loads of um, like story based titles coming out and loads of these like big modern yeah. shooters it, it's just it's just mindless fun like yeah. just to go back and not have to worry about like the jump scares or the no. like the psychological stuff that was in Doom 3 you can you can get right into Doom immediately as well it, yeah you, there's yeah, no it's, it's barrier pick, to pick up and play you can play it for yeah. like you know five minutes or like three hours it's the just good, the only criticisms I have is it, it hasn't really the level design sometimes feels a bit lost like I feel lost in the level design. Yeah. I, there's some points where you're like I don't really know where I'm supposed to go. Yeah. Uh, and that is a I think that is an issue with them trying to recapture sort of the old level design but bring it into a more modern. Yeah, I mean thing. they like, do use the map as well. Yeah. Um, um, which was I saw very minor. It's probably yeah. been in all the dooms, but I mean it was something that was maybe yeah. more useful in the original. Some people had it like overlaid full screen, so yeah. you, you knew which like a, yeah, that's good. It's Doom one. It's a, it, yeah. It is just that that was an issue with old game design where it could get like level design in Doom can get a bit confusing. Yeah, you don't know where you're going. And you that's, get a bit that's lost. Through, maybe through lack of direction. Yeah. And I think people aren't really used to that anymore, or they're not as I, I'm not as willing to forgive that anymore because I've sure. seen some fantastic level design and I know you can do better. Um, and that's a very minor fault because that is just a product of what it was trying to do, which was to recapture older yeah, sort of yeah. ideas of how a game should be and so I'm, I'm willing to forgive that entirely just it is a minor complaint that I would have in an otherwise I think flawless game Ed have kept it well updated as well like I think only just last month they released like obviously they've been doing the multiplayer um, DLC packs which are all free mm-hmm. um, the but, multiplayer is a bit shit obviously. yeah but um, they haven't updated not, not the single player campaign because I think they're probably going to make Doom 2 because I think this game is really successful um, but they've updated it with a survival mode Right. So I guess um, basically just kill as many demons as possible um, and keep your time as high as possible. So you, like, you kill demons and it's, it'll freeze time for a bit. Um, so like it's things like that where they're adding it, where it's, it's adding replayability that's not just a single player campaign because obviously that's kind of limited in what you can do. Um, there is no like, there's, there, there is a snap map feature that allows you like level creation, but the modern community is and never will be anywhere near as big as original Doom games just because of the nature of the game. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that helps expand replayability just a wee bit, which is something that you wouldn't expect, especially not for free. So again, that's a, a major plus for that game, I would say. Cool. So uh, we can move on from that. 
Have uh, Have you guys played any indie games this year? Or yes, one that you consider okay. Uh, I've played three. Oh, okay. I can't remember which ones they were. I played The Witness. Uh huh. I played Valhalla, which is spelt. It's like V A one one dash H A one one four or something like that. Uh, I really want to talk about that one. That's a yeah, great I've game. I've never actually heard of it. Um, and then there's a third one. I told you about it earlier and I can't remember what it was. Um, an indie title, which I will tell you about in a second. But Valhalla, basically, what that is, is a cyberpunk bartender action or something. So here's the way it is. It's, it's, um, it's okay, Now it's starting to ring a bell. Kind of like a visual novel. Um, it's set in, in a cyberpunk world. You are a bartender. And so people will come in and talk to you. Um... And you'll have conversations with your sort of like your um, oh. clients, and you mix them drinks and stuff. I have seen this one. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't got very far into it. I played it for a while when it came out, and then got distracted by something else. I really want to go back to it. Do you know what their but, website is? Um, their their web address? No. Waifubartendering.com. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's, it is the people that uh, come in. There's, there's all sorts of different, uh, almost anime yeah. inspired character designs. There's a lot of references to sort of like uh, or homages or influence from games, not games. Sort of things like Blade Runner, and that sort of like it's cyberpunk. So yeah, it looks Blade very much Runner. like it takes a lot from like Police Knots and Snatchers and all that kind of yeah. thing as well. So yeah, yeah, it's a really good looking game, and it's a really interesting sort of take on a sort of visual novel style game where you mix them drinks and and stuff like that. Um, and I didn't get far enough into it to really say anything deep about the game, other than I think people need to check it out. I think it's a very it's uh, not obscure. But it's obviously not like the yeah. I mean, obviously, I said I hadn't heard of it. I, I don't think I'd ever seen the name, but I do remember reading about it at one point yeah. and um, how the the character stories are quite interesting yeah. within the game. It's well written. Yeah, I pre-ordered it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed play, I like what I played of it. And the soundtrack is great. You, before each chapter or whatever, you can fill the jukebox with music, not your own music, but mm. music that's in the game. You choose what the jukebox has on it, and it'll play that music. Um, the the third indie game I played I'm, I'm very certain it's a, an indie game I'm not 100% sure Hyperlight Drifter oh that yeah, that, yeah that's, that was that was a crowdfunded yeah. Uh, yeah. a few years ago on Kickstarter yeah. that's sort of like a the thing it is closest to me is like a Zelda game yeah like the old Zelda yeah, games played about that. It's, um, it's almost like Zelda meets Souls I don't really I don't see the Souls comparison no. myself I I see in certain things um, a, a lot of people have said that the uh, because it's got a kind of not quite permadeath, but it sends you back a bit if yeah. you, you die. But like, and it, some of it is really kind of bullet hell esque. There's lots of enemies on the screen at one time. I think I'd I'd say it's um, superficially Souls esque. Right. Okay. I think I think I, maybe, maybe it's just a lazy comparison that, yeah. that, that people have made more recently. Um, but I, I would say it's definitely. Huh? Everything's compared to Souls. Like, if it's hard, oh, it's Dark Souls. Like, yeah, no, yeah. that's not how it works. Like, I've played Hyper. There, there, there are aspects in it that are present in Dark Souls, but I wouldn't say that that's what would make a Souls game. Mm-hmm. Personally, myself, um, I, I've the, played some the, of it. It's, yeah. it's really beautiful. It's a really gorgeous nice looking game. The I one that I would, I would compare it most to is the original uh, Legend of Zelda, the first one. Yeah, just the way the map works, the card based, the way you explore it, and the the way it felt as I was playing it. It's and it is. It's gorgeous. Like the art is amazing. Um, I played about an hour of it with um our good friend Andrew. Right, who has his own Nintendo Switch made of bread, as we know. He does, um, yes. Uh, uh, but I mean, I, I liked how it looked and I liked how it played, but um, it's just not my kind of thing. Um, but I understand why it is good. It's very well designed. Obviously, I like the way that you. This is present all Zelda games, so so it's just a good game mechanic in general. But like having to explore the map to find out how you get to the next part, like you. 
you'll run it a, a dead end and you're like, yeah. oh that needs a key of some persuasion where do I find that and you you kind of walk your way through the map in a non-linear fashion the way I always thought of it is the same I mean this okay here is another comparison to Dark Souls but mm-hmm. um, it's more of a the way in like Legend of Zelda the first one you're feeling out the world mm-hmm. yeah you sort of you're not directed in such as like you go this way and this is the progression you sort of go I'll try going this way and you go you sort of feel like, oh, well, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like I should be going this way. Mm-hmm. I'll take a step back and try another way and see what's over that way. And then you sort of start piecing together the world. Yeah. And you start to understand where you are in it. And, and that's what you feel like you're feeling it out rather than being told or pointed. You know, and I really enjoy that. And it only works because there's a very fine line between that and just being directionless and lost. Yeah. Um, Usually you'll have some kind of visual cues which will tell you like yeah. you shouldn't or should be going this way like especially earlier in the game like if you like I don't know like there's a map that will have left right and down and you go left and like some like weird trees will start appearing or something that looks ominous and you're like oh, I'm probably not meant to go that way sure so it'll, it'll kind of not like tell you to go one way but it'll kind of guide you yeah. in one way or and you'll eventually find your destination there yeah. so. or you'll immediately meet like a an enemy that is way too far yeah so. Um, I always think of that as um, the thing that makes it... Okay, in, in another comparison to Dark Souls, okay, it has great feedback. Dark Souls is a game that has lots of feedback to the yeah, player. You, sure. You're, you're, you're sort of... Um, and in, in Hyperlight Drifter, there's... If you go the wrong way, there's certain feedback that you get where you're like, not supposed to be going that way. Mm-hmm. There's good indicators that you should be going another way. Okay. Um, and then the... Th- yeah, The Witness is a fantastic game. Yeah. Uh if you're into puzzles, it's um, you're on an island and you have to explore the island and solve puzzles. The puzzles are all based around... It's very hard to explain on a podcast without being able to show you what it is. It's like a grid. Yeah. It's like a... All, all the puzzles follow a similar kind of design, right? Yes. Well, they, they, they all start from a very similar design. Right. Where there's a grid and you have to join up certain things on the grid. Um, certain You make lines on the grid. And the, the, the lines have to join up certain bits yeah. or uh, have to segment the grid in certain ways. But the amazing thing is, as you progress around the island, certain environmental factors change the way the puzzles work. Right. So in one part of the island, you have to line up the lines on the grid uh, to go around rocks that are off in, in the distance or or follow things. Or, or light will change it. And then colors start to come into play so certain things have there's certain elements on the grid that are certain colors but then the lighting of the room that you're in change the color on the screen right because of the way light works it's it's almost but a conditioning the, like you learn uh the the simple aspects of the puzzles yeah. and then you're taught to you're taught through those how to deal with the more difficult ones yeah. but so um the way with the color on the light so the colors they stay the same on the grid they treat them as the same colors but the light changes the way you see the color. Yeah. And in certain points, the light is on only half of the screen. So it makes two points of the grid look like they're the same color, but right. actually one's a different color. And it's about working out how the light has changed the color so that you know and then apply it to the puzzle. And it all becomes... It's amazing. It's the the game... It, some of it's complete wank. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's up itself in only a way that Jonathan well, Blow could be up himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But in, 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 in a way that I found quite endearing. Yeah. Like, um, uh, Braid's a bit up itself. I hey, love Braid. I've, I've been playing it this week, again, yeah. um, just because it's a, a really simple game. It 
I, I kind of get away with playing it on my lunch breaks at work. Yeah. Um, I, I really like it. I mean, I think it, it's... So you said, like, uh, Jonathan blows a bit up himself. And, yeah. and maybe... But I guess it's... Not you, can, a, you can kind of recognise his signature in his games. Yeah. They're unique in that sense. I mean, I, I, I feel bad now. I wouldn't say he's up himself. <laughs> okay. Um, totally retracting that. I don't know. There's something... Uh, a bit... He knows he's smart. Yeah. But he's not as smart as he thinks he is. So it comes across a bit pseudo-intellectual. Intellectual. Okay. Kind of. He, he explores things that he thinks are deep, but they're not. Okay. Um, I would say. Uh, wit- the Witness thinks it's really deep and really clever. Uh-huh. It's not really. Right. But I enjoyed it. But it's a good game. For, for it, it all works. Cool. Um, one other thing I would say about it, one thing that was amazing that I think isn't present in modern games anymore, is the pen and paper. Oh, yeah. Because it re- requires you to take notes. Yeah. Um, uh, you start like at the start of the game you're like you can just do it on screen because it's quite simple you go alright this is this yeah. but then later on you're like I, you crack out the pen and paper and you're just trying to work out what this puzzle is and you're drawing it out and trying it on the paper trying to work out trying to just visualise it on paper so that you can work out the puzzle other people were doing it on like dish towels that had grids and stuff and the thing that really got me was I was stuck on some puzzles uh-huh. so I would write the puzzle down and take it to work and I'd have it on my desk and I was sitting there and then it was just like oh I've got it and I wrote it out on the paper solved it went home tried it and when it worked I was like ah oh, that's really cool that was amazing so while I was sitting in work pondering this puzzle I got it and went home and tried it and it just the way you can take it with you and you're still thinking about it and it's in the back of your head that's good that's, I remember good thinking about experience. that as a kid like there's games like that would do that you they would stay with you and you'd take it away with you and you'd be pondering the game and you'd go back and you'd think maybe I'll try this next time I'm there um, and the pen and paper we'd talk about in the, yeah. the playground and yeah and somebody would be like um, somebody would be like well I was trying this and you'd be like oh shit I'll go home and try that there was just something the way the game stays with you as you step away from the game was something I haven't experienced in ages and also the pen and paper is something that isn't present in modern game design no um, games like Mist you'd have to have a pen and paper games like Resident Evil you pen and paper you'd be drawing out maps yeah. I played Resident Evil I think one last year or the year before and I had so much fun just plotting out the map of the mansion and everything and that's something that the witness has is is a a presence in your mind as you're not playing it cool man it stays with you it's, it's an incredible game that's a solid list yeah. of uh, indie titles it's a really good selection uh, Dave how about you uh, I played um, two this year um, Enter the Dungeon and uh, Shantae Half Genie Hero which just well it's not officially yet but I kickstarted it a couple of years ago so I have it now cool. uh, I mean, it'll, it'll be out by the time this podcast comes uh, out December 20th um, so it'll be out by now cool. um, so Enter the Dungeon is a roguelike uh, dungeon crawler um, the whole gimmick is that a giant bullet crashed in the earth and it contains a gun that can shoot time oh, wow. um, or shoot the past specifically um, so there are five characters all which have um various things they've done in the past which have been bad and they all want the gun that shoots the past so they can shoot their own past okay. and never be beholden to the, the wrong things they've done um, it's worth mentioning this This sounds like a really serious plot but the artwork looks really cartoony and... oh yeah it's, it, the game doesn't like it. sometimes it takes itself very seriously but it doesn't most of the time um, it's quite atmospheric um, maybe um, maybe not it's like immediately so considering when you're looking at it it looks kind of cartoonish and weird but like the music and the feeling of, uh, of the levels because they're quite big and lit 
quite interestingly. It's quite an atmospheric kind of game, and it feels like you're actually in a dungeon. Right. Um, so what's the, the actual gameplay like? The gameplay is... Um, I'm trying to think what it's like. It is like... Um, a bit like Loaded. Right. I, I, I'm like obviously a, a bit quicker than Loaded. Um, the whole um, gimmick is you um, you start off with one type of gun and a, a sub-weapon, or it's, it's really a secondary gun, and each character has different abilities that will allow them to utilise different weapons differently. So there's one that has, um, I think one has um, like a quicker dodge roll than other ones, um, <clears throat> and all that kind of thing. Uh, but the main gimmick is getting down further into the, the gungeon um, to find the gun that raises time. So um, it's all based on different types of gun you can find. So that every single weapon in the game is some form of gun. Okay. Um, and all the enemies you fight are bullets, types of bullet, like living bullets. So what has happened is that the gun, the, the huge bullet that fell on the earth, infected all the local wildlife, so they're all types of bullet now. Right. Um, which have different types of guns um, and different abilities. Um, it's a bit like The Binding of Isaac. Um, it's that kind of game. Um, large maps. Um, top-down shooter. Top-down shooter, Bullet large maps, all that kind of. It's probably not as much like Loaded, more like Binding of Isaac. It's probably more like Loaded just in base of having guns. Right. Isaac's not really like a, a gun shooter. I mean, it kind of is, but... Um, it's more bullet hell than Isaac is. Right. Uh, there's more enemies on screen... Um, it's not room based like you'll have a huge map there are rooms as such but like it's no like like a screen screen like Isaac is it's like there is one visible map and you go between all the rooms um, and then there'll be a boss at the end of the map um, and it's all about like upgrading your weapons and all that kind of thing um, I'm probably not explaining it particularly well here that's okay but it's it's on your list so it's it's, uh... it's, a, it's extremely hard yeah um, like you only have so much health, and um, obviously being a roguelike, you can't really predict what items you're going to get on every floor, so you kind of have to work with what you have. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm not that great at that. Like, I'm, I'm okay at Isaac, but this game is really, really fucking hard. Is um, it multiplayer by any chance? Um, it's co-op. Right. Um, the co-op is a bit rubbish because the second character gets a water pistol. Um, so... But like, are they essentially thrown in as cannon fodder then? Or? Uh, kind of. I've never played the um, the co-op mode, so I okay. couldn't really comment properly. Um, but the big thing about the game is like they have a variety of different guns. I think there's about three three hundred different types of gun in it. Right. Um, and some of them are based on like guns from different media, so you can get the um, the gun or Deckard's gun from Blade Runner. You can get the um, the Proton pack for Ghostbusters. You can get Barrett's um, machine. Uh, sorry, Gatling gun from Final Fantasy VII. Got you. Uh, so it's, it, there's all these different types of guns for different types of games and all that kind of thing. Um, but it's it's a good fun game. I guess it's good to kind of just get get into it if you if you've got the patience for it because it does take quite a lot of replay and um, because there are so many floors and it's so incredibly difficult. Um, it's I think it's about ten on um, Steam and PSN. So worth a try if you're into that kind of game like if you like Binding Isaac you'll probably like this it does look like fun it's, it seems quite fast paced it's a lot faster than Binding Isaac because you've got your, your dodge roll mechanic which you're encouraged to use a lot because you're basically the dodge roll will have invincibility frames um, so you're encouraged to dodge roll rather than try and like work your way through like the streams of bullets because it is a bullet hell to some degree um, so you have to make use of that so it kind of changes up how the gameplay works a bit 
It's not your traditional dungeon crawler Isaac um, roguelike type thing. Uh, so played that. Um, I've also played Shanty. Is it? Have either of you played the Shanty games before? No, but I've, I've really liked the art for this new one. It's really nice looking. So yes, kind of. I've never. I've been aware it. of it. Yeah. Uh, in as much as I want to play it when I'm, I, I'm able to play it. It's, play it. it's a really nice looking game. Um, the Shanty series is made by WayForward. Um, who have been around since the mid nineties? Uh, they their first game was for the Game Boy Color, which was our Shanty game. Right. Uh, the series has been going on for ages. Did they did um, recently some of the Adventure Time games? Didn't they? They did. Yes. Yeah. They've made like film ports or that kind of thing as well. Uh, they also made Contra Four for the DS. Um, so they're they're relatively well established. Okay. They and they have a good pedigree. So Shanty, uh, Half Genie Hero, uh, is yes. that like a platformer? Um, they're all platformers. They're right. all roguelikes. No, not roguelikes. Metroidvania is the word I'm looking for. Okay, go um, So you'll have um, multiple levels which are extremely large maps, usually two or three screens, but the screens are very big. Right. Um, and they'll have multiple different secrets, different ways around them. Um, areas that are only accessible later in the game. With when you have specific abilities. Shanty is a genie belly dancer. Um, so her abilities are accessed by transforming into different um, animals okay. by doing a specific dance. Um, so you'll have one which is a, she becomes a crab and she can swim when she's a crab. Um, with a, when she becomes a monkey, she can climb up a wall. Okay. All that. So it's different things like that. Um, so it's combining all your different abilities and figuring out like how you're meant to get to a parts of the level. And it's one of those games where it shows you like areas of level you can't get to it on purpose. So it will say like um, it will show you a, a ledge that you can't get up to or um a part that you go underwater and you can see there's something there but you can't go underwater yet. So we'll show you that and then you'll think, ah, I better, I'll need to come back here later yeah. when I've got a specific ability that will allow me to do that. So you're always kind of going back and forth between levels. Um, doesn't take itself very seriously at all the game. It's quite a good sense of humour. Um, the character designs and um, the general look of the game is really nice. Um, it's built for HD screens. Like The older ones were very sort of sprite-based because they were intended to run the Game Boy Colour and yeah. the Game Boy Advance or DS. So they're all kind of sprite-based, um, whereas this one is much clearer and much higher resolution. It's a quite a different style of art to the older games, but it's got its own appeal. It's a really nice-looking game. Um, I've not got that far into it. Um, I'm only about maybe two hours in, but there's plenty of stuff going on. Um, so yeah, I'd probably probably say that's worth a look. Um, considering it was made on $750,000, um, it looks like it's probably more expensive than that. So they've done well. It's... Um... Also, just fantastic to see a Kickstarter game actually deliver. Yeah, it, it only took them three years, but they got there, didn't they? I, so. I did notice their estimated uh, delivery for the game was October twenty fourteen. I think so by now, suffer delays a little. Uh, yeah, I mean, like every Kickstarter game gets that now, though. So yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean estimated Hyper delivery. Light Drifter as well was delayed by at least a year, but I mean, I, th- I think part of that's maybe the developer's health problems. Also, I mean. But games, games take a long time to make. Yeah, I mean, yes. people are saying it's a, oh, Kickstarter, they never deliver on time. It's Kickstarter. I was like, well, actually, if you look at a lot of the big developers now, that's just standard. Yeah, it's like I, delays. I've got, I've got seven outstanding games that I've backed that are that are still not I delivered. don't think I've backed a Kickstarter I've game. I've got two. I, I've got quite ever. a few. Um, but I mean, it's, it's one of these things like working in the industry myself, I'm kind of aware of how much is involved and yeah. how, how difficult it is to get a game uh, is polished to the point where you you're happy to release it. So, I think the the ones that you really need to 
you, you shouldn't cr- criticize really it's not really fair I no mean, they're they're already as long as people are um making every attempt to meet their yeah. obligations that they shouldn't be rushed they shouldn't be um receiving a lot of negative feed- feedback from people that yeah. just simply are eager to play the game but haven't played it yet yeah. there's mm-hmm. fair criticisms and then there's sort of ones where you just have to be a bit more understanding because yeah, yeah. because there yeah. are always going to be people on kickstarter that are just chancers mm-hmm. and they yeah. they won't intend to deliver and I, I guess there's obviously you've got to edge on the the side of caution when you're you're back in something well, they're all gambles i mean you're not yeah oh absolutely yeah. You're, you're not, not buying, buying a game. A game you're you're investing. investing in someone's development of, yeah. of a game title with it's we want to do this yeah this is the thing and and you have to then say i think this is possible and hope you know uh you are you are putting your money down as a risk yeah not as a they're not saying we have this would you like to buy it give us money and you can have it they're saying we want to build this help us build this yeah get in on the ground floor yeah if you want these anything that's on kickstarter is something that is not gonna get funded commercially or you know uh what's the term traditional funding for games it's yeah. not going to get that traditional funding so there is an inherent risk in what they're putting out there yeah they're, you know yeah, as, as long as people are aware of that when they're, they're back in and I think it's it's becoming more difficult to actually fund on Kickstarter unless you're already well known a, a big brand or yeah, yeah. I, I know that um, they, they are now required to have some kind of working prototype or demo yeah, for which is fair. That's, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, if, if you went so. to any kind of investor yeah, uh, yeah. and asked for money, they would say, well, "Show me what this is. Show me what you're trying to build." I think that's me... probably why, like, I don't know if like, Kickstarter games have a bad reputation is because, like, games like uh, Mike Number Nine and uh, the Double Fine Adventure, but they didn't have anything that was playable at the time, and especially not Double Fine Adventure. They didn't have anything, yeah. and they, they were basically just saying, "Like, you know, we're good, so back us." Um, and that's obviously that that is a risk in and of itself. Shenmue as well. Shenmue as well. Shenmue's a, that remains to be seen how that's yeah. going to turn out. But it's also really weird. I don't understand why they were going to Kickstarter at all. No, well, I, I think what, it was. What is Kickstarter for? If you are if you've already secured funding. Yeah. I, yeah, it's it's a funny one. I think it, they've always been could vague t- with Shenmue three as well. Like they've never really explained why they went to Kickstarter. Yeah. It's always been like, oh, we just need the additional funders. Like, but we know Sony are backing you. Yeah. So I mean, what, is, where is this going? I mean, I, I get maybe they're trying to gauge um, interest. Yeah. Well, what if, but like you don't need to get five million pounds. But they also, I thought there was a thing where like they were like, don't worry if it doesn't get backed. Yeah, I think that was said at one point. Maybe. It was like, oh, we're, it we're felt to me like they options. knew that it was a trendy thing to do that would drum up. The thing is, as well, I was a huge fan of the original Shenmue yeah. games. I had them on Dreamcast, and me and friends in high school played them quite extensively. We like busted those things open. Yeah, uh, we tried to like collect every collectible, visited every area, did loads of different playthroughs where we um, messed around with mm-hmm. the time frame. Um, but I, I, I didn't touch Shenmue three. There's no way I'm giving that money because th- at the point when they said give us money, they had this pre-rendered cutscene. Yeah. And it's like, it tells you nothing about it. There was nothing about the story. And I was, it's just a case of, they were riding entirely on the title. And they so, have other, like, there's so so many different avenues where, like, you can give us money over here, or you yeah, can give us money here. Yeah. They felt like, it's like, what do you what do you need from us? Yeah. Like, why do you need this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally got off topic with this. Kickstarter is another one we could probably go on about for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Kickstarter, I think, has done some great things, though. Just yeah. to balance this out just yeah. now. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, like, Broken Sword 5, I think, was kickstarted. Really? I think it was, I'm sure. Yeah, I think so. Pillars of Eternity, um, Torment, Tides of Numenora. Yeah. All, all those kind of games, like they're all genuinely very good games and they were kickstarted and they wouldn't have existed without was it. Was that so. um, Armacrog? Was that kickstarted? Armacrog was, was kickstarted, yeah. yeah so. Which um, I've heard 
it's not amazing, but it's it's a game that was made and is good. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would say that I just wanted to make sure that people understood that we weren't just down yeah. on Kickstarter. So uh, yeah, I've, I've played a few titles and all. One of the bigger ones for me this year was Inside, which is the Play Dead guys that made Limbo. Oh, you're oh, yeah. Really, really short game. Like I completed it in a couple of hours, but uh, atmospherically, really impressive. Mm-hmm. Really, really similar to Limbo in the way it feels. Um, kind of like a platform puzzler, really dystopic kind of environment that you're in. Not a lot of color. What kind of game is? It? What kind of game? Platform puzzler. Right. But, okay. So, so like you, um, you know, it's like the type of thing you you move boxes around or. So, like, is it, is, I mean, what makes it unique? Is it just the atmosphere? I guess is the art, really good the atmosphere? art direction, yeah. uh, coupled with the the theme. It's yeah, it's another one of these games that it doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. But it shows you this world, and it kind of implies certain themes. Like uh, in in this case, it's I use the word. This dystopic. It's there's there's a strong feeling that you are in a post civilization so like environment. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a lot of. Um, I mean, initially you're you're in the forest, which is a theme with the the developers. The same yeah. thing in Limbo. You just start off in a forest, and you're being chased by guys with flashlights. Yeah. So initially, there's some like dodging between shadows uh, yeah. to avoid these guys, and then you know eventually you're you're chased by dogs, and you've got a escape escape this um and throughout the game you go through certain um areas that that suggests that shit's not good (laughs) but it's it's just such a a really cool game and i think the fact that it doesn't tell you anything you ask these questions you kind of come to your own conclusions is what made it really interesting for me what made it stand out yeah um but i really love that game and interestingly, it was actually, uh, I, I know I, I've got it like, under our, our indie game section, it was in the same category as Overwatch for, right. for best game at the at Jeff Keighley's The Game Awards this year. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's reached like a critical acclaim from a lot of uh, people that have had eyes on it. Because yeah, I've never played Limbo. No? And I'm, I don't really know a lot about this game. It's like it's just passed me by. Limbo's really cool as well. I mean, I think even still, um, still now, it's like... it. it Forces you to employ lateral yeah. thinking. I think I own Limbo, so I really should. I have it on PS Plus, I think. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. I think it was. It's been free on a couple of platforms yeah. at some point, or at least super cheap. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a few years old now. Um, but it's it's cool. Like, I really enjoy it. Uh, I I don't know that it would necessarily be the same for me if I played through again, but the the first time like playing through it, solving these puzzles that are all environmental. Like, there's there's no kind of... Um, I mean, it's, it's completely opposite from The Witness, where you were saying you yeah. had to, like, write things down and solve things. In this, it's like, right, what can I interact with? How can I make this work? How can I progress further? Yeah. Uh, or I keep dying here. What's what's going on? And it's... it's you will die. Like, it's very forgiving uh, in that, like, the lo- you, you're loaded back in, your autosaves are frequent. Mm-hmm. Um... And it's it's just quite fast paced, but I mean, like even in in Limbo, initially when you're walking through the forest, because there's that kind of silhouetted art style yeah. of of like black and white and uh, greys, there are things like you will walk into a bear trap, and it's like I didn't see that. You play through again, it's like I can barely make out that that's there. I think it's like because that's so close to the start. I think it encourages you to. To accept that you're going to die in this game and it's not a big thing, yeah. And you just have to like 
learn from your mistakes. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, in, inside uh, feels very similar to to Limbo in that sense. But it's yeah. it's a good game. Like without giving anything away, fun. there's like there are some really fucking bizarre aspects to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I completed it uh, inside of uh, certainly inside of three hours. I think it was it was a couple of hours. Um, and I've not been back to it, but yeah. it's been a lasting experience having played it. There's something to be said for like short game experiences. Yeah, I, I think a lot of um, value is incorrectly placed on how long you spend yeah. in a game. Whereas like, you know, some some people actually prefer that their game doesn't last that long, so yeah. they can guarantee that they can See, complete it. I quite like having a game that lasts a while, but like you can't just have a you can't just automatically assume that a game's going to last a while and it's going to be good as a result no. of that. It's, it's all about I mean, pacing. Fifteen is a great example. We've gone on about fifteen, but <laughs> um, but like that game takes. A, I've put in twenty five hours to that game, and I don't feel like I've gotten anything out story wise. Like I've had some great, mm. enjoyable experiences, like with the combat and the dungeons, but like. The story means nothing. Yeah, so like, it doesn't like matter. Skyrim as well. Yeah. Like, the, the thing I would say about game length is how much you get back from the amount of time that you're putting into it. Yeah. yeah. Skyrim is very much a game where you don't get a lot out of it unless you can put hundreds of hours into it, I think. Yeah. You don't, you know, you really need to commit to get something out of that game. So you can't just say, I'm going to sit down and play some Skyrim. Yeah. You know. For a few hours, and that's all I really want. It's a game that you have to sit and immerse yourself in yeah, in yeah. order to get anything out. Well, it's like Overwatch. You can jump into Overwatch, play an hour, and in that hour, you will get a lot out of that game. Yeah. Looking back at my playthrough of Inside, yeah, I can say I spent like two, two to three hours on that. I can remember every section of the game. Every yeah. section was significant um, in progressing your your. Uh, even though it's a very linear progress through this yeah. game. Um, Every section kind of leads into the next one. There, the majority of it is memorable. Yeah. And I mean, if you were to compare that to like an eighty-hour playthrough of Skyrim, yeah. You know, maybe sixty of those hours are just going to be like, "What did I do? Yeah. For that time, like, how did I spend this time playing it?" Um, but it's, it's it's a really good uh, game, and again, if you can grab it cheap in the Steam sale, alongside Limbo as well, like they're yeah. both fantastic games. Uh. Did any of you play or or see anything about Firewatch this year? No, <laughs> I know people I, did play it, but yeah. it was it was a big release. Yes, yeah. um, I I vaguely know about it. It was on my radar. <laughs> yeah, um, just it's something that um, I think I would be interested in if I knew a bit more about it. Uh, I'm fairly ignorant of it. I would say it was marketed a long time before it came out because the artwork was by Ollie Moss. Yeah. who is a pretty, pretty well-known illustrator and artist, uh, graphic designer. His artwork reached a, quite a wide audience with this, and it, it, did, it attracted quite a big crowd. The game itself is... It's nothing spectacular. It's kind of... Uh, it's one of these like walking simulators where you go through and then there's... Uh, very, very little actually happens, but there's story in the, the sense that you know, you're, you're playing as this character, you're learning about him. There's a really good dialogue... Yeah. And there, there's this, there's this overarching mystery. I don't want to spoil anything, so I can't really get into it. But I know mm. I, I, I can say a lot of people were disappointed having completed it. Right. I wasn't one of them. I kind of I, I accepted the story for what it was, yeah. uh, and I, I, you know, I didn't. I, I enjoyed it, so I didn't feel that when I, I find out what the 
when I was presented with the end of the story, I didn't just accept the ending. I yeah. took it as a whole. Um, well, there's um, sort of The Witness has a very disappointing ending. But my sort of journey to it, the way I sort of... Um, I felt like what I got out of that game... I was happy enough at the end yeah. that even though the ending was slightly disappointing it wasn't a bad ending it just wasn't as exciting as some you know as, as maybe the game the game was all like there's a mystery yes, at yeah. the end and in the end kind of fell flat but I had so much fun getting to that ending that I sort of was like well I'm going to forgive that yeah that's that's fair I mean I think that's, that's true of a lot of games yeah. but um, yeah Firewatch is a really gorgeous game and they had this really cool gimmick as well. Um, so in the game, really early on, you pick up a disposable camera, yeah. and you can use the number of shots that are on this camera. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the game, it gives you a code, and you can access the photos that you took online. Yeah. But also, if you want, you can order them and have oh, them right. mailed out to you in in, in like a a printed sort of yeah yeah in printed format and it just it looks like they've got their own branding for this this camera yeah. brand and uh, developer brand and they said they mail them out to you so I thought That's that was awesome. a really cute aspect of it and because because the um, the art direction in this game is so strong like yeah. there's there's a lot of like really nice screenshots that have come from this yeah um, it's there was a, there was a lot of attention paid to it really early on and it shows and it's it's nice um so the the only other uh, game that I want to go into uh, in in any great length is the Flame in the Flood, yeah, which I think was released in February this year. It's a resource based um, roguelike, maybe. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I I don't use the the term roguelike very often because I no. I think it's well, it's overused and it's it's very widely well. applied. So I I, I don't yeah. know if it applies to this, but certainly you uh, you play this character. Uh, in a post-civilization uh, world that's like a rundown uh, America mm-hmm. and so again it was another game that attracted me because of the art style um, it's like really kind of abstract almost character models um, but the the colour's fantastic and one of the really cool things about this game is the soundtrack Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's uh, Chuck Reagan is the name of the artist that, that does the music and it's all kind of like American country kind of acoustic guitars and uh, wailing violins. It's yeah. it's just really, really. This cool. wasn't the game with the boat, was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. You have a raft and you're sailing down the, the river because yeah. there's, the, there's been a massive flood. All right. Um. So like you you stop off every so often and it's like little uh, outcroppings of islands and that that have survived, um. But they're overrun with wild animals and you're just you're trying to gather things to 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 eat uh to stay warm. And to you need to be able to sleep and stuff as well. Plus, like if you if you're attacked or if you because you are not equipped to to fight back, you you fight back the animals by like laying traps. But it's not like oh. say you're confronted by wolves. That's mm-hmm. usually not an option. Just to like lay traps there and then. It's all got to be pre-planned. Um, so you, you've just got to take care of yourself and stay alive and make repairs to your boat mm. as you travel down the river and you learn more about what happened. And yeah, it's it's just a really nice game. You know, it's like you can. Almost, uh, if if you're sitting sitting playing on your couch, for example, like I just I just put it on sometimes to like listen to the music and go down the river. Yeah, because it's it's just really to cool. chill out. Yeah, so I mean beyond the uh, the main story as well, there's a survival mode which I think is endless. Well, that's quite good. So uh, you you do get to the point where you, you build up a rhythm um, in terms of when you leave the boat, when you need to yeah. get supplies, when you 
you know, you you just you just keep sailing and keep yeah. going down the river. It's almost yeah. like you only uh, depart because you, you need to, or because it's not not because you want to explore that. But it's it's a funny one. It's a I thought it was a really good game. It's by the Molasses Flood, and mm. it, it's their first um, first title. Some some of the developers worked on Bioshock, I think. Right. Um, for, um, it's one of the, I remember seeing footage from it, um, and it was it just sort of stood out a wee bit. Yeah. Just the whole way it sort of works. Yes, yeah, it is. It is a really nice game. Totally uh, worth checking out. Um, but yes, should we should we end the podcast there? Because I think we've yeah. probably gone on for quite a while. Um, Should we talk about one game we're looking forward to next year, just quickly? Or? What I think we will do is an in-depth discussion of yeah, I think uh, we should, the, the year we're ahead. We're going to do like a, a separate podcast. All right, okay. Like a, no, that's fine. That's, that's fine. We'll leave it to the end. So. Yeah, so like, we'll, we'll keep it as a mystery. And um, the uh, the poorly remember game quote from last week will be revealed next week. Cool. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Um, catch you next time. Oh.